Welcome to the Hidden Acres Podcast. Today, we're releasing all the messages from our Sportsman's Retreat chapels. Sportsman's Retreat was March 25th through the 28th, and it was a good time. It was a great time. You'll hear more about it in our April update that should be released next week. Stay tuned. This message is from session three of the traditional chapel and was preached on Saturday evening by Terry Baxter. Feel free to share these messages with people you think could benefit from them. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the Hidden Acres podcast. Please enjoy this message from Terry Baxter. And thank you, worship team. Thank you. I enjoyed that. COVID was a tough year. I don't know if any of you noticed. (laughs) But I want to say this, it was a good year. Uh, Let me tell you what happened last year to to us. Uh, I'm very busy traveling, speaking, sharing. I had my whole schedule canceled last year. You notice we didn't have retreat here and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I usually keep a pretty busy schedule on weekends going out, so... Here you've got an evangelist, preacher, missionary sitting in church. And, and I, I started feeling a little bit like, Lord, what are you doing this for? I feel like I'm put on the shelf. I, I mentioned last night that we're attending an open Bible church. And God said, Terry, I, I have you here to learn how to worship me. You know, I've always had an inhibition in worship. We as evangelicals, I think, are a little bit inhibited in worship. And one of the things my brothers and sisters in the Open Bible Church uh, do, they have a, a tremendous, genuine, real, sincere ability to worship Jesus. And uh, it wasn't long before a couple of my boys and their children came, so a bunch of grandkids coming, and you know, they, I think they just come to watch Grandpa worship now. <laughs> it's kind of fun. They sit in the back, they just kind of stare at me getting into Jesus and worshiping. And uh, it, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to be honest. I travel all over the world, <clears throat> and the Open Bible Church is a little slow compared to our brothers and sisters in India and other places. I, we do pastors' conferences over there, interdenominational. You want to see guys worship? I, I mean, they pulled me out of my seat to dance. That was strange. My, my legs don't dance. <laughs> I mean, I've never done that. My wife's upset for years. She says, Terry, why don't we just dance sometimes? I, I don't dance. And, well, I tell you, they had me dancing over there, and, you know, just... I, I just want to tell you guys, worship like that, it, I love worship. I just absolutely love worshiping Jesus. And I, I think one of the things that needs to happen in our churches today, as it says in First Timothy, I would that men everywhere would lift up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Our wives, our children, our grandchildren need to see men worship. They, see, they need to see Christian men more in fire for Jesus than the world is for their favorite sports team. And guys, I mean that. I mean that. To learn to worship. And, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you tonight. I, I just sensed a, a beautiful spirit of worship there. Let's bow in prayer, and then we're going to jump into the Word tonight. Lord, I, I just thank you for this amazing weekend this time to open your word and to get into the gospel of luke and look at these amazing stories you told lord i pray that your spirit would work tonight in a very special way lord i pray that you would lead every one of us as men closer to yourself in every way lord if it's our prayer life if it's worship if it's 
just being to that point where in your word, where we're visible and vocal for you, just walking in the spirit, Lord. We just pray that, that we'd be near to you, Lord. We'd be loving you, Lord, that we'd, we'd just that day and night just seek you and lift you up. And we just praise you, Jesus. You're so awesome. Speak to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to see. Would you get me a little glass of water? I'm getting a little scratchy throat here. I don't know why. It must be there's a good message coming. <laughs> we'll trust the Lord for that. We're now in Luke chapter 15, and we come to the third story that Jesus told. Now, this morning when we're dealing with the Good Samaritan, I said the greatest story ever told. Some people argue with me. They say, Terry, the greatest story, was it the Good Samaritan or was it the Prodigal Son? I believe it was the Good Samaritan, and I'm going to say this because the prodigal son is not about the prodigal son. And I'll get to that in a moment. That's not what this story is about. As we come to Luke chapter 15, Jesus actually tells three parables. I don't know if you realize this, but three is an important number in the Bible. One God, three persons, the Trinity. So now... Jesus gives three parables. And what he's going to do in chapter 15, he's going to switch from, we saw kind of the parable of the sower, just a word going out and the struggles that are out there. This morning with the Good Samaritan, when you saw just a lot of different people in that story, a lot of different characters in their struggle, where they were with God, they're all over the place. When we come to Luke chapter 15, Jesus is zeroing in on a different group of people. He's zeroing in on his own who have walked away from him. He's zeroing in, uh, and if this were after the cross, into the later part of the New Testament, he's zeroing in on the backsliding Christian. And he just opens up in Luke 15, and he's just pouring out his heart for his own people and how he just loves them. Even though they might stray and backslide and walk away. And, and I want to really quickly walk you through the, the three parables because we're going to discover that each parable is going to talk about one person of the Godhead. And we're going to discover that there's something that they have that's walked away. Something that belongs to them that they've lost. That might be you tonight. You might be here and say, you know what? I haven't gone to church for a long time or I've really screwed up the past year. I've, I've, I've backslidden. I'm, I'm just really hurting right now. And you're saying, oh, God must be angry with me. I, wanna, I, I want you to see the heart of God tonight toward the struggling Christian. And I also want to say that, that I've been there. There's been times in my life that I was a struggling Christian. There's been times in my life that, that I've needed Jesus to reach out to me. Well, just look at this very quickly. First of all, it starts with verses 1 down through verse 7 and says this. Now, the tax gatherers and, and uh, basically they're complaining. The tax gatherers and sinners were coming near to him and listening to him and both the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling saying this man receives sinners and eats with them Jesus what are you doing hanging out with all these sinful people why not just go for us religious folk 
And Jesus tells three parables. The first one is verses 3 through 7, and he told them this parable saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go in search for the one until he finds it? When he finds it, he comes back rejoicing, you know. Uh, verse 6, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. I tell you, in the same way, there's more joy among, in heaven among the angels over one sinner who repents and over 99 persons who need no repentance. But what do we see here? We see a picture of the heart of Jesus, the good shepherd, who has 100 sheep and one of them's gone astray. And he goes to seeking to save that which is lost. You know, sometimes we think it's only the non-Christians that he's after. He's also zealous and jealous and loving and caring for his own sheep that walks away. Jesus goes searching for the one that's lost. And we get this idea, and maybe Satan's working as the accuser of the brother, and that when there are times when we struggle, we stumble, we fall, we... We, we backslide a bit. We think, oh, Jesus must be so angry with me. And certainly he grieves over sin, but he comes to seek. He, he yearns for us. He seeks the one that's, that's lost. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. He's not up there to pound you. He's seeking you. And when he finds a sheep, he puts it on his shoulder. So excited. The second member of the Godhead being the, the Holy Spirit is found in verses 8 through 10. And by the way, I'm not a good mathematician, but to me, if you've got 100 sheep, you lose one, that's a 1% loser. Some of you have heard me say that before. But being a 1% loser is not acceptable to God. You say, well, he's got 99. Who am I? You are his sheep. Now, in verses 8 through 10, we have the Holy Spirit. Or what woman? Isn't that interesting? Woman. You know, if, if you study the word for the Holy Spirit, it's actually in the feminine. In Scripture, the Holy Spirit is pictured in that light. Or what woman if she has 10 silver coins? And loses one. Well, she has ten coins, but she loses one of them. What does she do? She lights a lamp. She sweeps and she searches. She cleans. She washes until she finds it. Well, you know, you have ten coins, you lose one. That's a 10% loser. But the Holy Spirit, it, it, it's a picture of the cleansing and the, the cleaning and the washing and the seeking. I, I just want to say that if you're holding God at arm's length and you're going through a time in your life, the Holy Spirit is seeking to woo you back to reach out in your life. Not to throw you away, not to discard you, not to accept the fact, oh, there's one that's gone, forget about that one. I'll just hang on to the ten I've got. And this is interesting. All night long. How long does the Holy Spirit seek a strained Christian? Until he finds them. 
But now we come into the story that we call the prodigal son. This is the story I want to zero in on. Here's a certain man that had two sons. By, by the way, you have two sons, you lose one. That's a 50% loser. I don't know if you lose, know that, but it's about as far as my math goes, right? And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And when this younger son came to the father and said, Father, give me the share of my estate, it was like he was saying to the father, because usually he didn't collect the, the, the inheritance till the father was dead. It was like the younger son saying to his father, Dad, I wish you were just dead. I just want my inheritance. I want my money. It was very interesting because the father divided his wealth between them. The older son in Jewish tradition ended up having most of the inheritance. The other sons received less. But he took what he had, and the scripture says, and not many days later the younger son gathered everything together and he went on a journey into a distant country. Oh, now we have the story of two kingdoms. We have his father's kingdom, and we have a distant kingdom. Let me tell you that when a Christian backslides and they walk away from God, they leave the kingdom of light and they take a journey to a distant kingdom. It's called the kingdom of darkness. It's entering into the world, the world's values, and thinking, oh, I'm missing something, walking with God. I'm just going to take it. I'm going to go after what the world has. And sure enough, the scripture says he spent everything with his loose living. He was buying the rounds of drinks. It doesn't go into everything that he did, but as you walk down, the elder son said of him that uh, the living was probably pretty loose. I don't know if word was drifting back. And then it says in verse 14 that when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and it began to be in need. When you walk away from God and you decide to embrace the ways of the world, you're going to spend everything. And there's going to be a famine. There's going to be a time when you're going to be down and out. You're going to be at rock bottom. And, and I don't know why. Maybe because this younger son had so much pride, he didn't want to admit that he blew it. Instead of going back to his father, he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go and attach myself to one of the citizens of this land. And he does. <laughs> he attached himself, verse 15, to one of the citizens of that country, of that kingdom, you might say. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. A Jewish young man gets a job feeding pigs. Isn't that interesting? Because it's almost like Satan looks at him and says, I know what's the most defiling for you. It's not the wine and the women. It's pigs. So he starts his new career in the pig pen. You know, sometimes when a Christian 
walks away from God, they may have some false promotions. They might make a little more money. They might go in debt for new cars. But at some point, they're going to end up in the pig pen. That's going to be very defiling. It got so bad. Verse 16. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. Wait a minute. I use my wealth as the life of the party. I provide the foods and the drink and the entertainment, and here I am. Why isn't anybody giving me anything? And all of a sudden, he's sitting there in the pig pen, and he's so hungry that he's looking at the pig food and said, maybe, maybe I'll just get down on my hands and knees next to the pigs, and I'll eat with them. How bad can it get for a Christian that walks away from God? I've seen some tragic, sad things happen to Christians who have walked away from God. And at that point, it says, verse 17, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? All of a sudden, he begins to compare the character and the integrity of his father back in a different kingdom to the citizen in that kingdom that could care less if he starved to death. You know what he's saying? He's basically saying, I never realized that my father was so special. I took it all for granted. I didn't realize what I had. And now in this kingdom, in this place, with nobody caring for me, throwing me in the pig pen, and I'm starving to death, I'm ready to eat slop with pigs, my dad would never let this happen to one of his hired men. Even though my dad is Jewish, if he hired a Gentile, he'd take care of him. He wouldn't let this happen. Now there's a wrestling match. There's an internal battle that's going to take place inside of this son. I want you to see this. Verse 18, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to my father. And I'm going to say to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And he got up and he came to his father. And I'm just going to touch on this for a moment. While he's still a long ways away, his father saw him and started running toward him. And he tried stopping his father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. What was happening? The accuser of the brethren was taking the guilt of his sin and convincing him that he was worthless and God didn't care anymore. There are some of you here who have fallen away. You've been backsliding. You've been living in sin and the, the enemy's working you over saying, God's never going to receive you back. Somehow you've got to do all this stuff to earn his acceptance, earn his approval, You've got to make up for the mess you've created. 
because you owe God now. He's got this ledger. He's keeping the record. You've spent the inheritance. You've trampled it underfoot. And you're coming back. But you know what? You're no longer a son. You're just a servant. You're just a. You see, the scripture says the accuser of the brethren does that to Christians. And I want to say this. I've worked with thousands of Christians around the world. I've never met one that has not had some struggles in his or her life. Including the man standing in these tennis shoes. We've all had our times that we've let God down. Some worse than others possibly, but what's worse? God doesn't deal with us on a scale of how bad. Let me tell you how God deals with us. While he is still a long way off, his father saw him. Do you know why his father saw him? From the day his son left, his his dad never took his eyes off the road. He let him go physically, but he didn't let him go in his heart. Sometimes you can't reason with people. And then I I want you to see something. It says, and he ran. You see, this is now a picture of God the Father toward those who are strained. See, I understand Jesus, the good shepherd going after the one that's lost. That's the picture of Jesus. We look at him as, Jesus, you're all love. And I understand the Holy Spirit searching and watching. That's the Holy Spirit. I didn't have a good relationship with my father, though. There's some of you here that grew up with a struggled relationship with your father, and as a result, you don't have a very positive view of God the Father. This story is not about the Son. This story is a picture of the heart of God toward you and toward me. This is a picture of God running to meet His Son. You know, it was kind of a thing in Israel that mature men never would run. They were calculated, they'd walk, they were dignified. The father just takes off running. It, it took a repentant heart. The son was coming back. He didn't even wait for his son to give his line. Now, now keep in mind, you've you got to understand this picture where the son came from. He came from the pig pen. Anybody here ever been in a pig pen? <laughs> We're in Iowa. Okay, we've all been there. What happens to your clothes when you're in the pig pen? Yeah, they... Ooh. Here's a Jewish dignified man, the citizen that was respected, recognizing that hogs are a defilement. He runs to his son, coming fresh out of the pig pen. You think he probably didn't smell? Do you know what the father does? Guys, I, I, I can't even put this into words. 
He doesn't look at the sun and say, go clean yourself up, go take a shower, go change your clothes. He reaches out his arms and he wraps them around the sun. Son, you're home. And, and here Satan's trying to convince us if you've fallen away, if you struggled, that God will never accept you again. This is a biblical picture of the heart of our God. Praying Christian. This is how he responds to us. His son rehearses a few lines. The father calls to his hired servant, say, go quickly, get a robe, get a ring, slaughter a fattened calf, let's celebrate. The father gave him new clothes. He put the family ring back on his finger. He celebrated. And he never brought it up and threw it in his face. He never once says, if you do this, that, and the other thing, you'll earn my trust again. He didn't say it with words. He said it with deeds. He looked at this son and said, son, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you, I accept you, you're mine. This text rips me up, guys. The reason it rips me up is it took me years to develop this view of God the Father. I've shared this story, and you guys, it was a number of years ago now, almost 20 years ago, we lost a son. He was born with a genetic condition called trisomy 13, life flighted from Mason City to the University. How many of you remember when I was speaking on that experience, many of you here? I'll never forget what happened. The middle of the night, my wife's in one hospital. I had a C-section. I'm alone at the University of Iowa, and when I first walked in, my son's hooked up to all kinds of tubes and whatnot. He had trisomy 13, and in the middle of the night, they gave me a room, and I'd have these anxiety disorders. Like, I'd, I'd get woken up, i think, oh, my son's dying. I'd jump up, and I'd run into the room, and there the nurses were taking care of him, and, I, you know, it was fine. I'd get back to the room, and I opened my Bible. I don't know if you've ever been at a point where you just randomly open your Bible because you just don't know where to turn. I landed on John 3.16. You say, what a weird verse to land on in that context. And it said, for God, the Father, so loved the world. See, we read John 3.16, if Jesus loves us so much, he died for us. No, no. For God, the Father, so loved the world. He gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. The biggest lie from the pit of hell and from the devil is that God is a vicious God that hates us. He's up there ready to just beat us when we go off key. That's not God the Father. That's not the picture of God that this text is representing. Oh, probably some of you here tonight say, man, Terry, if you knew... God knows. What's he doing? He's looking down the road waiting for you to come home. 
He's ready to run and meet you. To throw his arms around you and say, welcome home. You know the thing that I love about this text? He never gave this son the opportunity to punish himself and act out and try to earn his right to be son again. He never allowed him to become like a hired servant. My son, welcome back to the family. Now, the older brother had some struggles, okay? And I'll say this, there are some religious folk that seem to not have the struggles that others do that might not be quite so forgiving, accepting. They, they might say, oh, you, you, you've got to earn your position back here. You, you've got to earn your right. I'm not going to get into that part of it deeply because that's not what the Holy Spirit wants me to focus on tonight. But the Father said, I'll have none of it. I'll have none of this. My son's home. He's safe and sound. He's part of the family. What amazes me the most about God is some of the times when I've struggled the most in my life and I feel like I've let God down. His response has always been a fresh, new, amazing outpouring of grace and love and fruitfulness. It's like he says, Terry... You can't beat yourself up over your sin and your failure. My son died on the cross for that. It's taken care of. I remember it no more. I, I believe that this story is not so much to the non-Christian in the lost world as it is to the child of God that screwed up. And I just want to minister to you tonight. You say, Terry, but you don't understand. It's been years that I've been out of step with God. I don't know how far, how long this son was gone. I'll tell you this, God's looking down the road saying, just take one step toward me and I'll run and meet you. I'm going to embrace you. We're going to pick up right where we were. You're my son. You're my son. I, I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. Some of you have probably heard a rumor that I'm a politician. <laughs> I, I work down at the state in the legislature, and one of the areas that I'm very broken over right now is the need for criminal justice reform. And we're running some bills right now a lot of people are upset about maybe restoring some rights to felons and that kind of stuff. I worked hard the last two years on a bill so that some of our lifers who have life without parole can get a second look and be looked at and maybe paroled. We have one guy in Iowa that served over 40 years and never did have a trial. It's a long story. I have a lot of friends in prison. That doesn't mean if you become my friend, you're heading for prison. <laughs> i got to qualify that. I'm not that bad to hang out with. What it means is I've spent a lot of times ministering in prisons, and I've met some very special people there that in prison have come to know Jesus, and they're just incredibly godly people. 
and some of them have gotten out and they're on the outside and they tell me, you know, what's, you know what's the worst, Terry? It's not the sentence I had to serve by going to prison. It's the second sentence that I had to serve when I got out. Because I had a felony. I couldn't get a job because they had to look at my record. I, I couldn't get housing in a certain place. They'd look at my record. I was denied. I couldn't live close to maybe a school or whatnot. I was denied. They said it never leaves you. For the rest of your life, it haunts you. I don't know how to give people a second chance. Maybe our government will never give people a second chance. Now let me say what I want to drive home. Our God always gives people a second chance. With a clean slate, he doesn't hold it over their head and he doesn't rub it in their noses. He says, here's the robe, here's the sandals, here's the ring. Start living as my son. Oh, the mercy of God. The love of God. What I want to do tonight is just simply give you, I don't know if it's an invitation, I don't know if it's an encouragement, if it's a call, you've been holding God at arm's length for whatever reason some people are doing it because they've not resolved some of the hurts and pains of their grown up years they've been hurt, they've been abused I, I meet a lot of men who are the victims of all kinds of sexual abuse when they're grown up or parental abuse or neglect or th- there's all kinds of ugly stuff that's out there and they come to Jesus and they try walking the Christian life they still have struggles, they have unresolved hurts and they just can't get over it and at some point They just walk away. I am sorry that the church in America hasn't done a good job of bringing healing to your life. I'm sorry that evangelicalism in America says except Jesus, you've arrived, everything's fine. They just walk away as if there's nothing to deal with. It's not fine. There's a lot of broken people that come to Jesus that need some really in-depth ministry and healing. It's the beginning of a healing process. I'm I'm sorry about that. But Jesus is the healer, the forgiver. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. Accepting Christ is the beginning of that healing process. Let me ask you a question from this story. When did the healing begin for the prodigal son? You know what I think it began? It began the moment the father, without hesitation, just wrapped his arms around him. I just loved on him. I think the father just stood and just wept over his son. The tears were just dripping down and washing away the smell of the pig on his clothes. It was that touch. It's like the story we have in the book of Matthew of the the leper when Jesus came down from the mountain after the story uh, of giving the Sermon on the Mount. This leper came up to him. The crowd was following him. Everybody just stepped aside. And Jesus was standing face to face with this leper. He said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. 
And Jesus initially didn't say anything, but he reached out and he touched him. That was the first time another human being had touched him from the day he was declared a leper. That touch had more healing power than you or I could ever imagine because it was Jesus saying, you're touchable. You're not untouchable, you're touchable. And then he said, I'm willing to be cleansed, and he was healed. You know what the father's doing in this story? He's touching his son. He's embracing his son. I personally believe that there are a number of us I should probably say you. I, I, I'm going to say us because for years I had this love gap between me and God. I knew he loved me by sending his son and died for my sins, but I didn't feel like God really loved me. I didn't see myself as lovable. I didn't think anybody could love me. And God did a breakthrough. I, I think there's probably a number of you men here tonight who do not view yourself as lovable. you've heard the gospel, you've gone through the steps of accepting Jesus, but there's a lot of brokenness still inside of you. And you've just got to somehow take this picture. In the parable, Jesus is the one who puts the lost sheep on his shoulder and takes them home. The Holy Spirit's doing some cleansing and cleaning, looking for the coin. But it's God the Father that's hugging. It's God the Father who's just wrapping his arms around his lost, broken son's head accept you. I don't know how long that hug lasted. I I really don't. That was a healing hug. And there are a number of you men tonight who've never had a healing hug from God. And you've got to see that picture. You're going to struggle for a long time. You're going to struggle with your image of God. You're going to struggle with your guilt you're going to struggle with this sense that I've got to perform. I've got to try to earn God's acceptance. Baloney, this story blows that right out of the water. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. You've got to accept that love. That's the beginning of healing, guys. That's the story that Jesus has given as a third story to his people. And Jesus is telling the story of his heavenly father. He's telling people now, I want you to know something about my dad. He loves you. This is Jesus and he's given the picture of his father. And I'm sorry that the church often does not present the Father this way. But what a picture. Let's bow our heads and just close our eyes. I wonder how many of you tonight would say, Terry, this hit really hard. I needed to hear this tonight. I've been straying. I've been holding God. How many of you would raise your hands and say, Terry, this is where I'm at. I've been here. Yes, others. Just put your hand up quickly and down. Look at that. There's others, others, so many. Others. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager or if you're 70 years old and have struggled with this. So many of you raised your hands. Amen. Even more raising your hands. Okay, more, more. Okay. 
Amen. Let me just pray over you tonight. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would open these hearts to the healing embrace of God the Father. Lord, I pray that you would do something really special tonight with this story to drive it home and show us who you are, to show us your heart. Lord, I pray just right now that you'd reach out and start this healing. Lord, begin this restoration process. Lord, I believe that you want to you want to put the clean robe, you want to put the new sandals, you want to put the ring on, you want to say, welcome home, my son. Enter into your family role. Lord, I pray for each one of these. So many raise their hand tonight, Lord. And God, I just want to pray for this bizarre, weird, male ego almost hands off can't be emotional can't be seen crying can't connect I don't know where it comes from Lord but I pray that you would deliver us from that and help us enter into agape love tonight Lord the God kind of love thank you Jesus help us forgive ourselves Help us forgive ourselves. This son had problems forgiving himself. The problem wasn't with the father. It was him forgiving himself. And Lord, help us tonight to forgive ourselves for maybe things we've done or where we've messed up or where we've gone astray. Lord, I pray for a fresh work in our lives, a fresh work of your spirit, a fresh work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray for a whole new relationship with you to begin right now tonight. And I simply ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.